Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are so excited <laughs> to have my husband, Mark Johnson, on the show. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for having me, Melissa and Caleb. <laughs> Welcome. So happy to have you. You guys typically come visit me every summer. And then obviously summer 2020, it didn't happen. So I feel like this is the consolation. Yeah, this is basically like when we're on the subway and you and Melissa are talking about something and I just kind of chime in and then I give up and start playing Panda Pop on my phone. <laughs> but we'll, I'll try for better today. Cherished <laughs> memories. <laughs> it is pretty great. I do miss it. I miss it too. Well, we actually, we have such a good time, the three of us. But yeah, it's true. Often the three of us are like talking, but then sometimes Mark will just kind of sit across from us on the subway while you and I play uh, Top Billing, the game that we invented with Jay. It's the best. Anyway, Mark, um, the first question we always ask guests is, would you please tell us a little bit about your family, Team Johnson, your, your family growing up yeah, and your family now? Okay, so I have a small family. Um, I feel like I know how to answer this question. I feel like um, <laughs> I have a small family, and um, I was very close with my grandfather. Um, he was actually raised in New York, and um, and then I have no brothers, sisters. I don't know my father or whatever you want to call him. Um, so my mom lives where we moved from, Pittsburgh, Kansas, or near there, and uh, we haven't seen her in a year. Right? Uh. I mean, yes, we have. We well, not really in our house. Not in our house. No. That just occurred to me. We've okay. Had some socially distanced we activities. We have seen her. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, what was I talking about? Okay. <laughs> that so, was your family growing up. Yeah. No brothers or sisters. I have a cousin Renee who lives about an hour from us. She has um, three little children that um, are pretty fun. Yeah. And funny. And I think that's it, right? Did I nail all of it? I think you nailed it. Yeah. But now I you have to that. tell the podcast people about your family now. So I have uh, my You're wife. So fishing. My, <laughs> fishing. My wife. Talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, because of that, because it's obvious what she's wanting me to do, I'll start with the dogs. <laughs> and so I have three dogs. And Cold. we have a beagle who's, I'd say, slightly evil to be nice, but he's at least three quarters evil. We have a whippet, whippet who's very cute, and he's our little baby. And when we have a chihuahua, and um, we have a lizard, a rescue lizard from my <laughs> elementary school because they were going to leave the lizard behind. Um, the lizard was 15 years old, and the teacher that um, had her was going to retire and was either going to give the lizard back to the pet store, which is cruel in a way, or give it to a child, which is terrifying. And I was like, this lizard has spent its entire life dealing with little children. We are going to let it retire in style. So she is. Her name's Lily, and she's a leopard gecko, and she's was peeking out a minute ago, but now she's inside. And then we have some fish, some pandemic fish, and various pandemic plants, and some dead cactus, which is not a good sign for your ability to take care of a, <laughs> of a plant. But That's it. That's your whole family. Oh, and then um, <laughs> I have, I'm married to Melissa, who oh. is um, the co-host of Parenthood Pals. Parenthood Pals. That's me. And she's right next to oh. me right now. She's lovely. 
Aww. I didn't know you had a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to totes listen. <laughs> and um, we've been married for... I don't want to be a typical male, but I always forget. It's just the way it is. We've been married for nine, but nine years together for, for 18, eight, 18, going on 18, going on 18 years, 18 years. So our, um, our love is a high school senior <laughs> or getting ready to be getting ready to be a high school. Well, no, I think it's kind of yeah. depends. No, hi, you high school senior. I graduated at 17. So you did summer birthday, not genius. Genius. Yeah. I didn't really graduate, but we don't talk about that. That's not true. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And so 18 years we've it, been together. Yeah. It's a long time. I think that's... Our love can vote. Our love can be quoted in a Kanye song. All right. All right. And then you answered the next question we always ask guests, which is where you're calling from. Um, joining us from. Well, I'm not calling. I am joining. <laughs> Thank you for... Clarifying. <laughs> Lawrence, Kansas, our home of three years. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a lovely place. It's quiet because, you know, it's, we're in a pandemic and it should be quiet. It's the Berkeley of Kansas. It is the Berkeley of Kansas. <laughs> the Berkeley of Kansas. Yeah, it I really think a lot is. of people would agree with you. I don't know. I haven't been to Berkeley, but that is a nice tie-in to parenthood, right? Yes. Nice job. Which segues nicely into what is your history with the show Parenthood? Um, you know, I've watched it um, <laughs> here and there. I mostly have seen it on in the living room as I pass through um, to go to the kitchen or various places in my house. <laughs> it has made me stop and watch a, a, more than a few times because I have found it to be um, a really genuine show and not overly dramatic, but just very engaging. And... Uh, a couple of the actors, you know, I know from other things, so I, I like to watch them. Uh, my favorite's, uh, what, which one is he? I forget it. Adam, because mm-hmm. he was Nate Fisher, and I probably will accidentally call him Nate Fisher a couple times, but Caleb will edit it right over it. Uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> or just hang you out to dry. <laughs> just, that's fine, too, because he'll always be Nate Fisher to me, but I do want to stay true to parenthood. Seth Tomasi called Sarah Lorelai through the whole episode. Even that's though right. his wife is named Sarah, and <laughs> Sarah's ex-husband was Seth. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Isn't that bonkers? So, oh, yeah. So that's my, my history. Um, I've watched a few episodes all the way through. And, uh, you know, I'm happy I did that. Good. Yeah. Good. It's a good show. And then I've heard um, Caleb and Melissa talk about it um, in various places over like 10 years, the last 10 years. And um, so I've heard a lot about it. I know a lot about it without having watched that much, which is kind of a fun thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yay, thank you. I'm so excited that you're here. Well, today we're discussing Parenthood Season 2, Episode 16, Amazing Andy and his wonderful world of bugs. And here's a little interesting tidbit of trivia. This is the first episode where the title refers to an actual character by name. If you don't count Braverman in Team Braverman. Well, that's a last name. I think this is different. I do too. Anyway, it was written by (laughs) Carrie Aaron. It was directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on February 15th, 2011. And here's the NBC Synop. <laughs> it always makes you laugh when I read that. Um, 
Christina and Adam throw Max a birthday party hosted by Amazing Andy, a man who lives with Asperger's. Crosby and Jasmine deal with an issue that could change the fate of their relationship. Drew and Seth continue to strengthen their bond. Meanwhile, Julia and Joel work on adding to the family. So the first note I took was just a little background on Michael Emerson, who is the actor who plays Amazing Andy. He is probably best known as the character Ben Linus on Lost. He also appeared in over 100 episodes of the CBS series Person of Interest. Fun fact about the parenthood world, he appeared in the movie Saw with Monica Potter. He has won two Emmys, one as Ben Linus on Lost, and then one for guest actor on The Practice. And he's been married to fellow actor Carrie Preston for 20 years, for over 20 years. She's also an Emmy winner for guest actress as Elspeth Tassioni on The Good Wife, who's a character I love. So I was really psyched to see, oh, wow, they're a very, very talented acting couple. Anything? <laughs> I, I keep thinking about how if this episode was about Amazing Amy, it'd be a completely different talk. You know, Gone Girl. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I don't think it'd be better, but it would be different. She'd be like, look at these fucking bugs, kids. (laughs) It it, it would be disturbingly intense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but there would still be hardcore sex, which happens in this episode. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Anyway. But yeah, there may have been a throat slit or two, too. So, okay. Yeah. That's my thought. Another little fun fact, just while I'm on it. The woman that Christina talks to in the library, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, IMDb says that the character's name is Hillary, but we never actually get a name for her in the show. But her name is June Carroll. She is also an accomplished playwright, and she is the sister of MSNBC's Joy Reid. Oh. The first actual note I took about what was going on in the episode was that Max's meltdown to Gabby was really hard to watch. Yeah. I I don't want to give away any spoilers, so I'm trying to choose my words carefully, but I always remembered him, his behavior progressing as the show progressed. And so hopefully without giving away too much, I'll just say I was surprised to see a tantrum of this level at this point in the show. I just hadn't really remembered that. And it felt almost kind of... I don't know. I don't want to say vicious. That seems too mean. But it just, it was a lot harsher than I remember. What did you think? Uh, I wonder if it's, you know, maybe a mechanism. Because later on in the show, as they are tiptoeing around getting Amazing Andy, maybe it's just reminding you of how vicious he can get when things aren't working the way he plans or something. I don't know. But yeah, that was that was a hardcore meltdown. It was, and and Gabby did a nice job handling it although she did kind of lose her cool a little bit I was a little bit surprised because every time I've you know glimpsed through the show as I've walked through the house um, it seems like she's pretty masterful at her job and I think she she got a little bit emotional there and, and escalated him some so which I kind of liked actually because it felt very human to me like the way that she even teared up at the end of it um, I thought well she's a human you know I mean even though she's really good at her job 
it would be very hurtful for someone to call you an idiot and to, you know, say that you haven't helped at all when this is like your life's work. And then later when she's explaining to Crosby that it can feel thankless, that all really felt that that made sense to me. And to me, too, just remembering that she's a person who is not just working with Max, but is working with, you know, I don't know what her caseload would be, but she I would say at least five to ten other kids with with uh, autism or on the spectrum. So it, <laughs> I'm sure Max is, is just one of many that of those. And it seems like those kind of tantrums just they come all in one day sometimes like they just kind of bury you, you know, I don't know if it what it is, but yeah. I don't think I mentioned that I'm a special ed teacher. So yes, I am an elementary special ed teacher. By no means am I any kind of autism specialist, but I do um, work with uh, some of my students do have autism or, or spectrum behaviors. So, so I do have a bit of a background there. Before when you mentioned that she escalated it a little bit, do you mean like once he started throwing things, she was raising her voice and yelling, Max, stop. Is that atypical of what you would want? Yeah. You're, so you're typically not going to react to the behavior. You're going to focus on, you're going to focus on what your intended behavior is and what your um, reward or whatever is going to be. So if you need this or if you want this, then you go for this. So you're going to focus on that and you're not going to give any attention to the fact that he's yelling or the fact that he's escalating. But she does, actually, if I remember correctly, she does start to directly address that. And that just that's just going to be like a tailspin. Like, you're just not going to get anywhere once that happens. So it was a very accurate representation of, of a kind of a, a interaction gone bad, you know, which I've had a million of those. I mean, sometimes you just aren't up for it. <laughs> it's just, you know, you're just going to take a wrong step. And it really can be that that vicious that quickly, too. So and it's not meaning to be. It's just it's just the way it goes. I was also struck the second time I watched the episode that Max's anger was so directed at Gabby. You know, he wasn't just getting upset. He was getting upset right at her. And yet he almost never looked at her. And it's something we know about Max by now, so it wasn't surprising. But I just thought as an acting challenge, it would be really hard to give a fairly lengthy monologue directed to someone and say, but don't look at them. Yeah, I feel like it would be just such natural instinct that if I'm yelling at Gabby, I'm going to look at Gabby. I haven't learned one thing from you, but say it. With your face facing her, but your eyes looking down or to the side or anywhere else, just, just impressed. Yeah. I, I, he's pretty good. <laughs> he, he does a nice job. I, I mean, I don't feel like he ever, uh, I'm going to have a problem drawing the words sometimes, but it, it's not like he's like making an overt gesture to to something. Like he, he does a really nice job just subtly following those cues and and it's not just over the top i mean the fit was over the top but like you say the the looking away and the and not focusing that was really a nice touch it was well done i realized i sort of skipped over the actual first scene with andy what did you think of how they presented the character of andy especially in that first scene like where he randomly starts using their shower and I personally, I mean, I thought it was fantastic. And I thought that, um, you know, I took some notes, but I take terrible notes. But um, <laughs> I, I thought it was just really like, 
it gave you some insight as to how clueless Adam and Christina is it Christina or Christine? Christina. Christina. How clueless they can be? Like just because there's I mean, it's just right there hits you over the head, you know. And and they are just like, oh, he's rude and he's, you know, and just not getting it and just you know, treating this guy how they would just be appalled if somebody I mean, obviously we've I mean I've seen some episodes of the way they've treated other people when people haven't been treated Max well. So I thought to me that scene was more about them than him, you know, but I thought he was wonderful. I, I just, I thought he was just lovely. <laughs> I enjoyed it. But I also just fully knew like the minute he started talking, like he was, he was a great actor and, and he um, showed you very quickly that he was on the spectrum and that, you know, how he found his comfort zone. So it was, I liked it. what did you think? Well, the thing that really struck me, like you said about Adam and Christina the exact phrase was, that's the weirdest person I've ever met. And they said it with such derision. And I found that fascinating because rude is one thing, but weird is another. And I think that's a fear of theirs that Max won't be like accepted by, you know, peers. Um, and that, like Mark said, that has been a huge storyline. Christina has gone out of her way. You know, that's <laughs> that storyline with that other mom mm-hmm. where, she, you know, Max wasn't invited to the birthday party. And, and I just thought, wow, now Max is having his own birthday party and they're actually considering not hiring this man because he has the exact same situation that Max had. <laughs> like, I just couldn't get over that i thought that seems so awful yeah so yeah well and that led to this little debate they had between themselves christina how did we not see that this guy has asperger's honey i don't know i felt like a total moron when she said that i, don't know, I guess we're just so used to thinking about it in terms of kids uh-huh. that we forget they grow up i know they do they do grow up all right so what do you think do you think that we should use this guy for the birthday party or not? I mean, I feel like ethically... I don't know. I mean, it makes me really nervous. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to have a house full of autistic kids. What right. if something goes wrong, not according to plan? He's going to lose it. Look, honey, we I'm have no the same control. Thing. I'm thinking the same thing. It sucks. Right. So, I don't know what to do. I mean, I feel like a hypocrite because, like, you know, what if one day Max wants to get a job and the people don't hire him because they're nervous? All right, look, we don't have to be ethical superheroes about this. You know? No, we don't. You're right. I don't I don't feel like we do. You know, I think we actually owe it to Max to trust our guts on this one. And as much as I want to feel comfortable hiring a man with Asperger's to entertain at my son's birthday party, I really don't. Okay. Then the answer is no. And I do want to say, too, that I, th- I thought it was really a funny touch just how quickly Max and the bug guy... Like, they don't... They... they interact like in a parallel way. They're not really interacting, but there's a complete comfort between the two of them. I mean, it's just like, it, it was just really funny. It, it came across really well, I thought. And just had the discomfort of, of his parents and how he just is unfazed the whole time. And Max even like came to his defense. Like, dad, stop making him mad. Stop making him mad. Yeah. I loved that. And he saw, he problem solved, right? Because they were talking about it couldn't be inside or it couldn't be outside. And so they were going to move it inside, and then he, you know, and, and Max is the one that, you know, helped him come up with an idea to to do it. And I thought that was really, I really enjoyed that whole, the whole piece. I, I found Max to be really, other than what he did with Gabby, to be pretty enjoyable in this episode. I mean, just 
course, he was having a nice time, so <laughs> he's having a good day. The moment of that that I really noticed <laughs> was in the backyard, and Max was screaming the whole time. He was like, oh my God, we're going to have to cancel? No. I mean, he was screaming. <laughs> but then Adam like raised his voice for a second, and, <laughs> and Andy said, Adam, <laughs> you're like, you're... you're what did he say? Too loud. Yeah, I think he told him to stop screaming. I yes, think. and it was funny how he didn't direct that at Max. It's like he thought Max yelling made perfect sense, but Adam was overwhelming. <laughs> do you remember that? You remember? I that? do. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> well, I was that scene I just played. It brought to my mind this book I'd read called *The Righteous Mind*. It was a few years ago, but it, it was this psychologist Jonathan Haidt examining how. I think the subtitle of the book is How Good People Can Disagree on Politics and Religion. And he said in the book that we think of our reason or our logic like a judge or an umpire assessing things fairly and then making a decision, but that it's actually a lot more like a press secretary and that our reason will concoct explanations for what our gut intuition leads us to do. So like Adam and Christina... Well, Adam, specifically in that scene, once he started saying, actually, I think we're doing Max a favor mm. by not inviting him. And no, I thought, he's not. You're just talking yourself into that, which I'm not even judging him for. At least the thesis of this book is kind of everyone does that. And if you can be aware of the fact that you're doing that, you can at least uh, have fewer illusions about your impartiality. It's like, no, you just don't want to invite him. You'll figure out a reason that makes sense to you. I I agree with that. I didn't feel like they ever really had a clear reason because if they used evidence of, if, I mean, if the real reason was not to upset the kids at the party, I mean, Max wasn't upset. The only time he was upset was at the idea of him not being there, you know? So, I mean, I think they could have used the evidence, but what you said, Caleb, actually, and I might botch this cause it's been a while, but in one of my master's courses, our instructor had her son who had at the time they called it Asperger's and now it's high functioning autism, but, um, had him be the guest speaker. He was a 19 year old young man and he was, so he was, he was super interesting. But one thing that he said was that we look at people with on the spectrum as being on the outside, you know, uh, as being the anomaly. But he said, actually, when you think about it, if we start thinking in strict black and white and start thinking kind of like what you're talking about without our own logic, like changing it, but actually just for what we see it as, um, that those people are much more likely to make better decisions and, and get farther. And he's like, it might be more of an evolutionary trait. <laughs> Which I, and I wish I could say the whole thing because at the time it was, it was, I mean, it was kind of hilarious watching teachers kind of freak out as he said this. And I was just like, this is a beautiful thing. And, and I loved his perspective on it, and I saw where he was coming from. I don't know that it was necessarily solid, solid, but it, w- it was good. But basically this idea that, you know, I just don't, I don't let all this other stuff get in the way. All these filters and everything that you guys have that I don't have, it just doesn't, it doesn't affect me at all. Like, I just see things for what they are. And I think he also tied that in with the use of technology, too, and things like that. But That's a really interesting idea. And I know we've certainly talked before about how, Max's lack of a filter often means he's more honest and straightforward about things. Like when he met Alex, Hattie's boyfriend, he said, you're black. (laughs) But there was no judgment in it. He was just observing a fact. 
And then contrast that with Adam and Christina. Anytime they were asked about, are your opinions shaped because of his race? They were falling over themselves to say, no, don't ever bring that up again. We're not. They were spinning. Yeah. They didn't see color. Max did. Max is, yeah, just honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he, he doesn't. He's not necessarily, when he says black, he's not saying all the stereotypes that go along with seeing a black person. And so it's it's right. not, it doesn't have that insulting or or the charged aspect that that one, like his typical, typically functioning parents would have. Um, well, I know Melissa liked this little scene between Andy and Christina. Oh my God, yes. Did we have an appointment? I'm- this is something I give to all the people that hire me. It's a smiling plush cricket. <laughs> Crickets can't actually smile, though. That would be anthropomorphizing. But a thoughtful gift helps create repeat business. That's true. And it's really cute and nice and smiling, and it's anthropomorphizing. Hey, Andy. (laughs) Okay, two Monica Potterisms. I'm sure everyone noticed that she stumbled over that word, and that was perfect. I don't know if she was supposed to or if that was just, like, her not being able to say it or if it was a choice, but whatever it was, I loved it. But then in the very next scene when they go to the backyard, Caleb, did you notice this? I had to call Mark back in on my second watch because neither of us noticed it on the first. She was burping that cricket the entire scene. (laughs) She's holding it and she's just burping it like it's a baby. The entire scene, she doesn't stop. Just straight face. (laughs) It's the best. She is a genius. She is. I did not notice. Oh, you'll have to go back. (laughs) Anyway. Well, speaking of her and Andy... I was annoyed by Christina at the actual party. Well, part of me felt compassion for her when she was like, I have a headache and all the things she was having to tend to. Gosh, that would be stressful. But what annoyed me was that she asked Andy to start early. Yeah. That was literally the first thing in their first scene that we saw them go over in the contract. There will be no deviation from the showtime. And Christina knows that's something that she knows being the parent of a child with autism that you have to, it's not just like impolite to ask for flexibility on those things. It's kind of throwing a wrench into his process. And she, I don't know. I just like, why would she do that? Herbie, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say her behavior in this episode struck me as pretty hypocritical on many occasions that there was that And then there was also, she was acting like the mothers of the kids attending the party were being completely unreasonable. And I'm like, is this any different from going to every house in your neighborhood and being like on Halloween and being like, I'm sorry, could you not have fire? Here's, here's a fire stick instead. Here's a, here's a light to, to put in your jack-o'-lanterns. And she's acting like, ugh, they're asking me if the cupcakes are going to have gluten. And I'm like, well, that seems more reasonable. <laughs> I mean, especially with, I mean, and that's another thing. Like she knows as a parent with a child with autism, she should, I would think she would know about the allergy part of things and, and all those different pieces of, of how important the diet is, you know, very tone deaf, that character, <laughs> you know, I don't, yeah. I mean, just really not getting it. Yeah, <laughs> And I don't, I, I almost feel like it's willingly not getting it like that. Just, just in her bubble and expects everybody to kind of do everything for them and, and understand their plight, but just completely stodgy in, in the idea of, of changing for other people. 
very American. I feel like I don't I don't <laughs> think that's a behavior I haven't seen a million times in my life. So um, I think they nail it on the head with that. It also felt a little like the writers of the show needing to set up a situation where Gabby can seem impressive to Crosby. Mm. Like, oh, she needs to talk Andy off some ledge so that it can be like the final nail in Crosby and Jasmine's relationship coffin. I will but, uh, <laughs> I will say coming from a real life perspective though, I mean that is a pretty I mean I I deal and no no shade on my on any parents that I've ever had, but it is it is relatively common for me to spend my mornings kind of unplugging <laughs> what has been done, you know, as far as dropping kids off, not on time or having a rough morning and and just throwing them into the school. I mean, I have spent a lot of time with that, you know, just kind of recharging and and getting set to have a good school day. Um, so, you know, life happens and, and it's hard, you know, you, you know how to do things, but there really, it's such a rigid mindset that you, you can't deviate. You don't get a day off. And that, that's a nice thing to think about, you know, to have some empathy for, for these parents and things like that. I was curious to know what you thought of Gabby's interaction with Andy when she was able to get him to adjust the start time of his show. I thought it was pretty perfect. Um, she did a lot of like a, a social narrative type of thing, like where she she kind of laid something out for him to agree to, and then she never told him what he was gonna have to do, and then she let him come to his own conclusion. It was it was quick. Like I I don't know that normally that would, but it, I think the heart of it was there. You know, like from what I know. Um, and what I've done, you know, it, I didn't think it was unrealistic. It was just a little bit easier than I, <laughs> I think it could have been. Uh, and I think, yeah, but I, but I think she portrays that well. I thought it was well done. It made sense to me as a viewer with no expertise in this area, but I did kind of feel like she was talking to him like he was a child. And then, I, I don't know, I just wondered, it seems like maybe a thing that you'd have to balance out talking with someone who maybe thinks through things differently than she does, but he is still an adult, owns his own business, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I, I could we could go in a couple different directions there, but let's just say that we know what the difference is between talking to an adult and a child, right? Like, we, it's all in the way that our body language is and our pitch and things like that. And we typically neurotypical people expect that but that's another one of those things that really isn't doesn't necessarily need to be there you know I mean I don't yeah. I don't know that he paid attention to her tone he paid attention to her content it makes sense to me too that she would talk to him like a child because she works with children all the time she has to have that kind of but also I think you err on the side of caution and softness and kindness so that kind of voice and that register is probably going to be more likely to be used, you know, because she doesn't want to come across as aggressive. But it could just be an oversight, too, you know. But I think, I think too, that yeah, he probably just didn't even pay attention to how her tone was because that's not the point to him. It's what she's saying. If she's saying, you have to do this, and he's like, but I can't, world's going to cave in, you know, so he's listening to the content. You know, I, I never thought about this before either, but I think... Minka Kelly's delivery is kind of like that with almost everyone she has a scene with. 
I thought that too. She has kind of a baby voice. Yeah, but like I know but that I'm not critiquing. No, no, so that's I her mean, voice. I think she's excellent and everything, but I noticed it kind of reminded me of how she talked to Adam in an earlier episode when Adam was trying to talk her into staying late so he and Christina could go for a walk together, and she was just setting up her boundaries. She was like, "It's really important that I have this time," you know. And I'm like, "Boy, you're talking to Adam exactly how you talk to Max," and so. I didn't find it so insulting because I thought this is just she has learned strategies for how to talk to people and they're all the same. So that's kind of what I thought. So I'm seeing a personal connection here. Um, when I first started my career, I was an early childhood special education teacher and it was like trial by fire. But <laughs> my mom and I weren't necessarily getting along very well in those days. And one day we were in an argument and I was I was talking to her and she just said, and if you keep talking to me, like one of your preschool students, I am going to lose it. <laughs> and my response, pure, like my pure response was, now let's think about what <laughs> you're saying. <laughs> and, like, and she's like, like that. I mean, I just backed her up. Like, and then I, I see it. I see it, mom. Okay, I'll fix that. You know, like I get it, you know. But like I really was, I mean, I was learning the art, right, of... Not only uh, de-escalating students, but parents and and uh, teacher aides and administrators and like learning all this stuff. And I was new to it. And so, yeah, I, I think I, I gabbied my mom. So <laughs> That's funny. I do remember my dad who did private therapy for probably 10 years. I remember him telling me once that he would often tell his clients I'm talking to you in this tone of voice right now because I'm hoping that it will rub off. <laughs> like if they were really worked up well, or upset about something, uh, he would speak really calmly and then he would completely cop to what he was doing. I've, I like that. I've done that before um, in de-escalation situations. Like if, if you have a student, and this isn't necessarily kids on the spectrum, but just I also had a behavior program at one time and – just kids that are in my face and, you know, why are you talking to me like that? What do you say? And then that's what I would do. I would say, I'm talking to you like that because you need to see what's appropriate. And I'm your only model right now. You know, like I would just go very clinical and tell them. And then, you know, that doesn't always help, but it also takes the emotion out of it, right? It takes the, it's just like A to B. We got, you're A, you're, you're in a, in a state right now and we need to get to the unstate. <laughs> so this is my try. You, you show me a better way, but screaming in my face is not the better way. So I'm going to go my way right now until you show me better, you know, but yeah, I like that. Well, let's discuss this last little scene between Adam and Andy. Thank you very much. You really made the party. It was amazing. Bugs are great. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just the bugs. You're really good at what you do. It's, it's also great that you are doing something that you love to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm in your way. Uh, so you really like this? Your job, your life, what you do? Are you happy? Yeah, sometimes. Are you happy? Yeah, sometimes. I thought that was such a beautiful answer, sometimes. I'm like, isn't that 
what most of us would say if we were being totally honest when asked that question. Um, just a side note that I thought that was so perceptive. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> that honesty was was there. And I, th- I love that Andy, the way he says it, he's obviously been trained to say that. He, he's not really reciprocating the conversation. He's been trained if somebody asks you something, you ask back. And he just delivers that beautifully. And then Adam. Adam. I almost called him Nate. Um, then Adam <laughs> reciprocates it right back, which was just kind of fun dialogue-wise, I thought. Yeah. I also liked, I don't think it was the character Andy's intention, but I felt like for the viewer, I also kind of liked that it sort of turned the question back on Adam, who has struggled not to think about Max's autism as a burden. Yeah. And by him asking that question, are you happy? I feel like the subtext is a little bit, has your autism kept you from being happy? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Andy's response is sort of saying, well, has all the crap in your life that's difficult kept you from being happy? Yeah. Like we've, all, we've all got our stuff. <laughs> yeah, No absolutely. one is free of challenges and autism does not equal a burden you're going to have to carry with you your whole life. But you know, from the outside, from to, to defend Adam's position a little bit, I mean, what he sees a lot is... Uh, his son in a state of, of unrest of he's unhappy. He's screaming. And it doesn't always mean he's actually unhappy, but you know, so he's like, how could you be happy like this? How could you be happy? You know? And, and I mean, he just, he just can't get that perspective taking, but I do want to say that this, I thought was an incredibly touching thread. And it actually starts for me, like with Zeke. Yes. As, and, and it's just, Oh, I, it just made me like tear up. Just the whole thing was Zeke like meets the Andy and then and then he kind of realizes that, oh, he has. Well, first he denies it, but then he's like, oh, he he has autism. And and then it just dawns on him like, oh, he could he makes money. He lives on his own. He does all these things, you know, like this idea of what it is to have a disability is so outdated for so many people. There are so many things that, that can be done now. And really, yeah. I, I won't go farther than that right now, but, but I just, I think it's just really beautifully set up with Zeke just completely like almost melting with the idea that Max is going to be okay, you know, or Max has a chance. Max has a pathway to okay. What he sees is okay, which is, I am, I mean, I am, I, I think he did a really nice job of showing how relieved you would feel if your child, if you worry about your child being able to make it in this world, because you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard to like, it's hard to go to the store sometimes and interact with people in a, in a meaningful way that doesn't involve like cursing sometimes. I mean, it's, it's a crazy life sometimes. So it was, it's just a very nice, I, I really enjoyed the culmination of this at the end of the party with them. I'm so glad you brought up Zeke because I thought that too. Um, I don't know that it even would have occurred to Adam. He was he and Christina both were so busy being freaked out, you know, catastrophizing, you know, thinking of the worst possible outcome that it's like they didn't they didn't stop to see what the potential beauty in this that like like you said Mark that he has a pathway. I love how you put that. And so I I like that it kind of took Zeke of all people <laughs> to recognize that. And they still use like coded language. I mean, he doesn't, if I remember right, he doesn't like come right out and say anything. Like they're, they're not comfortable enough talking about this yet. I mean, you know, they're still kind of like speaking in tongues a little bit. I feel like, like he's not saying, hey man, 
you know what this means is Max has a chance. They're just like, so, like, they don't, they still don't really say that Max has autism, right? Like, they don't, I mean, they don't just go there. Like, it's, I don't know. I feel like he's just dancing around it still. They all are. They like, do. Are they in a little bit of denial still or something? No, they, I mean, I know they do sometimes, but in that particular interaction, like, it wasn't as direct as it could have been. I didn't feel like. I gotcha. Yeah, because he, does say like um, you know he has Asperger's talking about Andy and and he like you said he denied it. But Andy like, did, yeah, yeah. But then he said like Max, yeah. I think, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, I mean, I think the whole family is not in denial about Max. But they Max still told doesn't him. know. But no. so they they do so te- tiptoe around it denial. with him, you know. Yeah, maybe I just see the denial like in all the different actions you know like in in christina's inability to empathize with anybody except her own position because there is some acceptance there um that has to take place to really start to see that other side of things um i also think that yeah they talked about the asperger's but they didn't he didn't ever actually say like i'm really worried that max is going to have a hard time living in this world or making a living or not living with his parents He's kind of like pointing to, hey, man, he made it, right? You know, and they're both like, because they don't, I don't know that they're comfortable talking about the idea that Max may not be, you know, they're both worried about the idea that Max may be living in the house or have to go to assisted living or something like that. I don't know that they really understand, you know, their own fears yet, maybe. I don't know. I like that. Well, here's a question that I have for both of you. Have they ever thought about it before this episode? Because the fact that it didn't even occur to them that Andy, you know, had autism and they were so surprised. They even say that in the bathroom scene. Or that an adult. Yes. So I I wonder, had it even occurred to them (laughs) to wonder beyond this moment? Like they're so focused on each day that they're not even really fully thinking about the future until now. And I feel like that was maybe their first glimpse at what a possible future could be for Max. That's that's astute. Thank you. Yeah. What and how old is Max? I think he's like nine. Oh, he was nine when Christina went to the support group. Oh, so, so this, is his this tenth. would be his tenth birthday. Okay. But the actor playing him is a few years older than that, which I always find interesting. I would have guessed him being like fourteen, but. But that's around the age that you start tra- um, doing transition meetings with the students and you start talking about careers and you start doing these things at IEP meetings um, where the student starts to become involved in their own future. So it would be, be kind of interesting if, I mean, obviously, from a realistic viewpoint, they haven't been, they haven't had to think about these things because the school hasn't led any of these discussions or anything like that. So if it was real life. Mm. He does go to a, um, a school, is it? Four kids. What is Footpath exactly, Caleb? Is it like all kids with autism or just all kids? With- I don't know. I I think I would say just all kids with special needs. Yeah. But I don't think I know that for sure. Yeah. I want to clarify earlier. I didn't mean to be criticizing Adam in his exchange with Andy. No. I just liked how it kind of subtly got turned back on him. Yeah. Because I think his concern is actually really beautiful and so human why i mean of course everyone just wants their child to have a good and fulfilling life and anything that could get in the way of that would be seen as a concern but i liked that andy sort of subtly said don't have a preconceived idea of what's going to be an impediment to his happiness 
No, I, I thought it was a beautiful point you made. And I think both okay. can be true at once. I think that the question could have been a little unintentionally insensitive, but very well-meaning and, you know, concerned. And I think it's all true. What about the, I don't know, are we going to mention the actual show? Because like the, Andy's show, I loved that so much. I don't mean to jump the gun. I just wanted to be sure to say that when Adam was like, he's actually amazing or kind of amazing. I thought it is like, he was so funny. And, you know, I, I just thought this would be such a hit. Like, can you imagine that would be so like, I wanted amazing Andy at my, my birthday. <laughs> I did not care for the coffee cup or what plastic cup full of bugs. <laughs> Creeped me out, but, but yeah, the show was entertaining. Yeah, I take it back. I don't actually want that at my birthday. Please don't hire a bug guy for my birthday. Um. Speaking of Monica Potter being funny, I did love when she walked into the show and saw the tarantula out. Just the look on her face for a split second of like, oh, dear God, what have I brought into my home? Yeah, I wasn't going to point out that there's no way in hell that Melissa would ever want Amazing Andy to come to her birthday party. No. I mean, we've had many an argument about the killing of bugs and the brutality of that. And uh, so <laughs> she's come out on the right side of things, but it's taken some time. So I, I don't think Amazing Andy would be for you. No, I think what it is is the scene was so charming with the music and also it was all happening behind a TV screen so the bugs were not actually in our living room. And <laughs> it, was, it was so joyful. And yeah, I just, I kind of got swept up in it. And I did think it was amazing, even though, yeah, I would normally hate to be at a bug show. And so. didn't he do one thing where he like made the tarantula come out of his sleeve? Or something like I that. I don't remember that Because one. that's just something I would totally do. <laughs> well, he did pretend one of them was like jumping out at the kids. That's great. And then they would all scream, except Max, who was just enraptured. Yeah. I loved all the little asides where like Max would say the lines before Andy would. And then Andy would be like, no commentary from the audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then all the stuff with, with Crosby and Sarah in the audience. Did you notice that? There was a moment where like Sarah like touched Crosby <laughs> and Crosby freaked the hell out. It was so joyful. I love those Braverman parties. They make me really happy. So. I didn't take any notes about... Joel and Julia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but so feel free to plop in any thoughts you had about their storyline. Oh, they plopped in. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't know that I had much about Joel. I mean, I had a note that says he's quite sexy. And indeed. <laughs> that was just for you. Kim. <laughs> He was like, I'm going to bring up Joel being attractive and see what Caleb says. It does. There's a star here. Sexy things about Joel. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't really remember. My, I mean, I, I thought that they're kind of, I thought they kind of juxtapositioned Joel and what's, what's swim fan? <laughs> Julia. <laughs> Julia. Joel and Julia's, uh, I thought they juxtapositioned them with, with Gabby and Crosby. 
little foreshadowing is what I thought. Oh, yeah. So I thought that was fun. Like, I thought what they were doing there. And then, like, because there would be a little flirtation talk or, like, that weird, awkward hug. And I know I'm jumping ahead. But then those two are, like, having, like, this crazy erotic moment. And so it's, like, I don't know. It's fun. You're right. The, the, the whole episode was full of sexual tension. I didn't even really think about that. It's all over the and place. It's, yeah. Oh, I love that. It's kind of like how sometimes in poems, like one of my very favorite poems, um, Sharon Olds, I go back to May 1937, which is a poem about violence and abuse in many ways. And she hints at it by describing nonviolent things in a violent way, like the gate has sword tips um, or like the red tiles are compared to blood, you know, the color of blood. And I always talk about that with my students, about how interesting that is, that there's actually no violence in the poem, but it's all sort of teeming. And so even though Crosby and Gabby are not talking about sex in this episode, it makes sense, I think, that the Joel-Julia sexual tension would be in the same episode because it kind of applies across I mean, the board. It was scene to scene, too. Yeah. Like, they yeah. would you typically drop, jump from their scene to a to one of the scenes about those two. so That's so interesting. I hadn't even thought of that until now. Hmm. I mostly just thought it was lovely to see a storyline where like a married couple that's been together a long time really wanted each other. You know, I thought that was nice. I was just about to say that, that yeah? it hadn't occurred to me until now that we're talking about it, how nice it is that Joel finds it really hard to wait to have sex with his wife yeah. because she's so hot. That's Kind of and he's awesome. like, don't lean over the mixing bowl like that. <laughs> it's super funny. Yeah. It, it was a really enjoyable scene. Like they, they were, they delivered it well, and it was really funny. And it was just nice to see something kind of lighter in an episode that was pretty heavy. But also, a lot of times, stuff with Joel and Julia is kind of heavy. You know, like it's it's all trying to have a baby, but like not the fun, sexy part of that. <laughs> you know, or or I mean, Julia is intense. Or, yeah, yeah, Julia, she's intense. She's just super intense, yeah, right? Yeah, she is. And Joel's pretty laid back. Yeah. And he's just trying to keep up. <laughs> That's a really good That's, comment I mean, about him. You know, I, I think they make a good couple. I, You know, from what I see, it, it's like a nice mix. But man, she's just like super A-type. And mm-hmm. he's quietly manly, you know, like he's like a builder and all these things, but he keeps it quiet. You know, he doesn't, I mean, it, there was even a little A-side in this one where, where Zeke tells him not to touch anything. <laughs> And it was super, he's like, don't touch anything, Joel. You know, and it just, because <laughs> I saw the one with the leaky roof and all that. And it's just really, it's just funny. I don't know. It is also crazy to think that, wasn't it the first episode of season two that they discussed having another baby? I think maybe at the very end, yeah. Well, that Julia brought it up. They right. didn't discuss it, which was an issue. Yeah, they never but do now discuss now here we are 16 episodes later. And they're still trying. Yes. Actually, it was the... Do you get those on the DVDs? It's like the previously on. And they included a little throwaway line where she's talking to Sarah and she says, I'm not pregnant, you know, and yeah. 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 So it is interesting because it was played just light in this episode. But yeah, it does seem to be a concern that she's not pregnant yet. Yeah. I feel like ever since they actually both got on the same page about it, it has mostly been light, except that one scene she had with Sarah. But it is a little concerning. Yeah, I, I did um, have a note about this, about when Christina walks in on, <laughs> on Joel and, and Julia. Julia. <laughs> and uh, she just takes it in stride. And it's so funny because she's just like, 
oh, whatever, you know, it's cool. Do you want the bed? <laughs> but she cannot wrap her head around Amazing Andy and, yep. like, all his, like, <laughs> things. Like, it's just, like, I don't know. She, it just comes very naturally to her where she's like, it's no big deal. But then, you know, Amazing Andy, want, you know, is very particular about his contract, and she's like, I don't think so, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> I wrote down I would much rather have someone turn on the shower in my house unexpectedly than walk in on them having sex on my bathroom sink. And yet she would, I mean, and I get that's family. Andy's is a stranger. But still, I was like, huh. Uh, yeah. I especially wouldn't want to find my family having sex <laughs> yeah. on my sink. Like, you give me a choice between amazing Andy wanting, like, the electrical outlets to be a certain part away from each other or me walking in on any of my relatives having sex on my sink, I'm going to pick Amazing Andy. Yeah, every time. Every time. I don't want anything to do with that. I I did find it funny that she was so cool with it, but I was also like, is this that parental privilege again? They just throw it out that they're trying to make a baby and it's suddenly fine to have sex in other people's bathrooms. Dirt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know. (laughs) Parents. I'm like, if that was just recreational sex, would she have offered her bed then? I don't oh, think so. Oh, man. That's good. You know, this is funny. I, or does, do you have to have that? Do you have to have, is it another example of she has empathy when she has perspective? Mm. Which is just a huge thing I'm thinking about a lot right now with everything. But anyway, sorry, Caleb. I have a family member who had sex on my couch. <gasps> That's right. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, maybe I, I should not. act like I don't know this. What? That's shocking. Well, <laughs> the couch that Melissa sleeps on when we go to your house? It is the couch I sleep on when we go to your house. Oh, no. You've known this I the didn't whole time. walk in on them, but I found evidence later in the bathroom. It was a condom. Spoiler alert. In de- well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but, At least they were um, And it's funny, that was definitely recreational, and but it didn't bother me. <laughs> Really at all. Oh, you were so happy for them. Yeah. Would you have felt differently well, if you'd walked in I don't know if I was them. happy for them, but it felt like, eh, they had brought someone home, like a friend of theirs, and said, can they stay? And I said, sure. And I was like, what did I expect them to be doing? I don't know. Part fine. It didn't, I was asleep. It didn't impede on my... Oh, wait, you were there. For some reason, I was thinking they were oh, staying. Oh, yeah, I was there. They were in the next room, I but I was asleep, so I didn't hear it. Interesting. You know what really got me was that Christina, I I noticed it on the second watch. I paid very careful attention. She walks into her bedroom. The bedroom door is open, not closed or locked, Not, not even closed. And then she walks to the bathroom, which is closed, that door, but it's not locked. And I just thought any of those kids could have tried to find a bathroom and walked in on these I'm just people saying, having sex. Amaz- yeah, any autistic child with autism, like walking in on that would be a nightmare. Yeah. Um, Amazing Andy would have flipped out. There's just no way that's socially acceptable. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I don't what know. A, what a, maybe there's some stuff in the, in the cuts from this one. Maybe there are some things that happened in these scenes. We should ask about it and see if we can find <laughs> out if... Amazing There's Andy's. a show for your kids. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't mean to sound super judgmental and maybe I did. Um, I just, I, I guess I just think I don't like the idea of a couple having sex 
during a child's birthday party where they don't even lock the doors. Like, I don't know. There was just something about that that I was like, I get that you're horny. Wait till tonight. I don't know. Maybe that's... Well, I mean, I don't mean to sound like a parental apologist. They have enough of that already. But she's ovulating. How long do you ovulate? 30 minutes. (laughs) They had to do it that second. The span of a child's birthday party. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't we look it up? Let's do it. Um, Do it. The magic is happening. I want to say three days. Well, they said tonight's the night. And then Joel was just like, can right now be the night? (laughs) I thought. Oh, wow. A normal ovulation cycle lasts for about 24 hours each month. Okay. Once an egg is released from an ovary, it will die or dissolve within 12 to 24 hours. Interesting. Well, I don't know. It ultimately worked out great. Christina thought it was funny. She got to say that. 12-hour bug birthday party. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she got to have that great line to Adam about they were just banging in the bathroom. Boinking. Didn't they say boinking? I thought she said banging. I do love, too, when Adam turns around to look and Christina says, no, don't look. And just Julia's face is priceless. (laughs) Humiliated. Those, I feel, I mean, I don't have brothers and sisters, but I feel like they do a lot of nice little uh, sibling interaction pieces like like that and um, what was it the birthday party where yeah like where Sarah she, and yeah she like puts the insect on his or pretends like just little things like that that they just do um, I think a earlier episode was the boat the selling the boat episode where they just were chock full of that just this lovely <laughs> like sibling you know it's like oh man every once in a while I wish I had siblings Aww. only when I watch that show otherwise I'm just <laughs> fine I'm fine. Okay, I'm really glad you brought up that episode because there was a line delivery that reminded me so much of the scene on the boat where everything was just like the perfect level of um, sentimentality but not crossing over to, to too schmaltzy. But then they had one line that I'm like, too far. And on the boat, it was, it was when they were like, one small step for man, one giant leap, and then Sarah says, for family. <laughs> And in this one, it was like they were talking about, you know, maybe they will have a kid that was conceived at this party. You know, stir up all those ingredients. What do you get? And wow. Christine is like, one perfect kid. And I'm like, Max? I, don't know. I, mean, I love Max. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm like, well, my parents definitely that, think their kids are perfect. That was pretty lame. Yeah, it was. It was, it was too much. <laughs> well, Seth is still around in yeah. this episode. And one little bit of trivia, he says at the beginning that they're going to go get burgers at Oscars. If anyone remembers, Oscars is a real restaurant or was a real restaurant in Berkeley and Adam and Crosby ate there in the pilot. That's where Crosby teased um, Adam about getting a veggie burger. And I talked about you being a vegetarian. Yeah. Boom. Well, there was some little exchange between Zeke and Seth right at the top of the episode that I wrote down, oh, that really adds to the sense of the history between them. And I like that Zeke doesn't seem, or I like that Seth doesn't seem to much care for Zeke. Of course he wouldn't. But then there was a whole scene about that later on. I didn't need to just base that on like one little exchange. (laughs) Seth, I think what you're doing, it's it's a good thing. What's that, waiting out here? No. (laughs) No, you know, wanted to see your son. Wanted to see Drew. I mean, he missed you. Look, Zeke, you don't have to do this. You don't like me, and I don't like you. So let's just 
be civil to each other when Drew's around, and the rest of the time, let's not talk, okay? All right, Seth. All right. I was just trying to be hospitable, Seth, you know? And there was a little bit of forgiveness in all that. God, you're unbelievable. I mean, you just... See, you don't, you don't change. Yeah? So? What do you mean? It's all about you, always. I'm just trying to be hospitable. Hey, come on in. You're a good guy. Hey, you do. Hey, <laughs> other, you know, forget yeah, it. Yeah, just... Trying to be friendly. I know it. Hey, why is it you always take uh, something good, Seth? Somebody trying to be compassionate, and then you just turn it into crap. Why do you do that? Well, you sound like your daughter. Hey, let me tell you something. You never talk about my daughter ever in front of me. Do you understand that? And I think it's great that you want to see Drew, but you harm that boy. And I will shove that guitar so far down your throat, you'll be playing it with your tongue. Okay, that scene made me want to ask both of you a question, which is, who is right there? When I, and I think the actual question then is, is it more important to be friendly or to be authentic? Because I think that Zeke is trying to be friendly and maybe a little bit fake which is maybe okay. You know, you're polite sometimes with people you don't care for. And I think that Seth is trying to be authentic. And I didn't think either of them was necessarily wrong. They were just looking at their paths crossing differently. Like, you know, so I wondered who did you think was kind of more right there and which would you have done? I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I think it's either or. Yeah. Because even Seth, it yes, he was being authentic, but... Even his way, I think there was some friendliness to it because he said, when Drew's around, let's be civil. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think I would have said in light of Drew being the thing that is connecting them, I would go with friendliness. But but even Seth's way is not saying let's be unfriendly. He's just saying you don't need to act like, oh, come in the house and blah, 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 blah. So, but I guess I guess if I had to choose, I think I would say Seth was more right and like that Zeke should have just stopped pressing hmm. although but I also think Seth pressed like you could just decline the invitation <laughs> you yeah. don't I thought um so Melissa my wife is an English teacher <laughs> I am. and she often has said show don't tell which I think is a beautiful thing when you're t- talking about you know reading a good book or watching I thought that this was a great example of show, don't tell. You can tell in the interactions with these people the whole time. Like, I haven't seen anything with John Corbett before this. What's his name? I'll probably just call him John Corbett. Seth. Seth, but I'm going to call him John Corbett. Okay. Can't help it. He's John Corbett to me. Okay. But I think you can just see, like, he's an amiable guy. He's a, you know, he's very likable. But every scene that he's in that doesn't involve his son has a darkness to it. Like when Zeke first comes out to see him, he's like holding a golf club or something. He's holding some kind of weapon. And, and I even checked it with Melissa. I was like, isn't he, is he holding a weapon? You know? And it's like very quiet. It's not like he's like holding it up like this, but he's holding it. And he's just kind of like watching him as though 
he probably had to in the past. And in in that interaction there, you can tell that they are speaking from the past, that whatever happened between him and Zeke, which I also think, and maybe I'm jumping the gun by saying this, but I thought that this scene, uh, I do know more about Zeke, and I know that he has a lot of baggage and a lot of things that he did with his family and to his family that weren't good. And so you have two damaged men with a lot of baggage, like kind of talking to each other. And I thought that was really beautiful in its own way, but it doesn't come out uh, with any kind of beauty. You know, like it's it's two men trying to kind of jockey for position, right? And mm. so I think Zeke wants to be above that place where where John Corbett is, but he's not, and they both know it. And I think also it alludes to the idea that, that, that things were really bad. I mean, John Corbett's not ready to, even though he, I, I feel like he takes, he understands that he made bad decisions. I don't think that that, it doesn't seem like he's in denial about that. But he's also like, we're not going to be friends. Like, it's just too deep here, you know? And, and I, I really like that. I like how, um, how everybody's reaction to him. I mean, and as we go through the scenes, there's something that happened in every scene that just shows you that he was an absolute disaster and probably a bit of a terrorist, you know? And it's just in such, such a different thing than how he comes across now, other than in a few scenes, you know? Uh, you obviously see a piece of that in some of um, his interactions with people. But for the most part, I think I would want to say that he's right, but I don't think he's right. I don't think either one of them are probably very right. You know, I think that they probably are toxic people that handled things in a toxic way. Mm. And now, you know, they remember what they did and they're not going to own up to it to get to <laughs> one another. So it's just like the kind of a, just a result of a toxic relationship, you know, and everybody else is kind of going on and doing okay. But, <laughs> but those two probably aren't going to be buddies. I like that. I think you're right. I think it might be too simple to say who was right there. And, and you're also right that they are both kind of toxic men, which is not the only kind of man we have on this show. But I think they might be the two most toxic, you know. And, and isn't that interesting how close Sarah is with her dad and how he hates, you know, like Zeke hates Seth to think of them having some things in common? Well, I really noticed that in this episode and in this scene, like – First thing I noticed in this scene was I thought that Seth kind of nailed Zeke's psychology in a way that no other character has yet. And I think there is a lot of narcissism to Zeke and he needs to be the star of the show all the time. And I, I feel like every other character on the show ultimately forgives him for that because they love him yeah. and because he loves them. But Seth doesn't love him. Mm. And in a way, I think it... <laughs> allows him to see Zeke more clearly That's than good. anyone else does. That's wonderful. Although in this situation, I'm not sure what good it does to call him out on it. Mm -hmm. But I thought the same thing that you just mentioned, Melissa, in the scene before they go into the principal's office, mm. the way Seth was acting in that scene, saying, oh, he's in there with the warden right now. Yeah. And oh, he's in the pokey. And just how, <laughs> how charming he was. I was like, he is so much like Zeke in yeah. that scene. And not to be like super Freudian, but I did write down, did Sarah just marry her father? Yeah. And then it also made me wonder, is Zeke just lucky that he doesn't have substance abuse issues? Is that the only thing that's keeping him from being a dangerously toxic person? Yeah, could be. I mean, 
he does enjoy drinking, but clearly doesn't have a problem with it, you know? But yeah, boy, that's... So I, I wonder, um, you two have watched the show from the beginning. Has Zeke always... Like, Zeke and Adam have these amazing conversations, like these amazing... And obviously, this is something that is new to the characters, but is it new to the show? Like, because I don't feel like they haven't had, like, that open communication, right? Adam kind of, like, carried the family when he was younger, right? He was kind of the, I mean, from what I draw from, you know, walking through the living room. (laughs) But it seems like Adam felt like he had a lot on his shoulders because Zeke didn't have his, his shit together. And Adam, you know, and everybody kind of says, Adam, oh, you have it together. And Adam feels like he had to, you know, and, and there's this like, and I've seen some conversations that they've had where he just gets to unload on Zeke and, and be brutally honest with him about like, I shouldn't have had to, you know, like you're the compliment you're giving me is really your fault. It's your problem. And um, I think the episode where he punches the guy for saying what he said about Max, which was, yeah, you know, so I wonder, is that something we've seen? Zeke get better at being more honest and talking, or is that something that's just kind of happened as we come in as viewers and we just kind of see they're, they're in the middle of this growth? Well, in the pilot, I do know that Adam says to Zeke, it's ironic you telling me that I'm a good father because I was just trying to do the opposite that you did, something like that. And he also says some variation of that in the episode you just mentioned. And they have the one on the curb where <laughs> they were running or whatever, and that was amazing. Uh, it's weird. I often feel like Zeke is actually really good at have at expressing his emotions and having those heartfelt conversations, but kind of only when he wants to. Yeah. And it's like he can't necessarily, like in the Thanksgiving episode, he just picks up on the fact that Drew is missing his dad and then bears his heart and is totally vulnerable but then the episode right before when Camille says she's taking an art class. Oh, he's a monster. He can't, he can't express himself calmly until it just flies out of him in the most ugly way. Yeah. Somehow he's unable to have a heartfelt conversation with his wife. But, but doesn't that kind of reveal um, gender expectations? Like this idea that, I mean, and and I think actually this does too, him coming out with a golf club and saying, you know, like kind of laying him straight that he's going to beat him up or whatever if he does something horrible. But I mean, he's very possessive in that episode you're talking about. I did see that one and it was just really gross. Like it was super toxic what he was saying and and his viewpoint, but he does refer to her as his, you know. Well, and maybe there's narcissism in that, like, in the scene with Drew, it gets to be, oh, here comes Grandpa to give me a great talk. And Grandpa comes out looking great. Yeah. And in this scene with Seth, oh, here comes this guy who has every right to hate me, but he's inviting me into his home. What a great guy. But with Camille, it's, oh, I don't come out like the hero if I tell you that it really scares me that you're going to go take a class from the guy you slept with. I just look whiny or petty or small and so he can't let himself do it or is it that he doesn't feel like he owes her that like that's not in his you know it's just like you don't you just don't do that you made the mistake and and you stay away from that person because you know you made the mistake and you can't control yourself you know i don't know it means there's some deep sexism in there some deep 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 gendered stuff you know they explored zeke's 
sexism in ways big and small on this show. And it is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's, it feels very realistic for, a, you know, a person that age, especially a man that age, I think. But, you know, little things like he has a tradition of taking his grandsons on a one-on-one -on -one camping trip, but he doesn't take his granddaughters. Uh, and Jasmine kind of calls him out on that, you know? <laughs> yeah, she does. And, um, you know, that might seem kind of benign, but like Max doesn't even want to go. And Hattie sounds sad that she didn't get to experience that. You know, she's like, well, Max, enjoy it. I didn't get to do that, you know, and it's kind of sad. And it all comes from a similar place, you know, or like him, we've talked about this before, encouraging Drew to like his libido, he's proud of him for his libido. And then his granddaughters, he's like, I'm proud of you for not having sex with that boy. Um, and it's, yeah, it's all very gendered and... And like even this, he's protecting his daughter's honor. That's when he loses his mind. <laughs> when when and it's so weird because Seth doesn't say anything rude about Sarah. He's just like, you sound like your daughter, <laughs> which is funny and is like a real sign of intimacy. Like he knows mm -hmm. Sarah. They were married for a long time, and that made Zeke uncomfortable. That same possession that Seth is is demonstrating having once had for Sarah. Although he doesn't even say it in a gross, sexist way. He just indicates that he knew her so well. But that makes Zeke uncomfortable. And yet, weirdly, I loved that moment. I did too. I just loved... And it was something about... He clearly triggered that protective instinct just in a parent of... I mean, it's like I noticed or noted in, I think, our last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was the first one that Seth was there. That Zeke must have so much baggage and... And I'm sure he's just operating out of a place of fear of like, please don't hurt my oh. shining angel again. And so he can't even handle, like, don't even talk about her. Don't even mention her. I'm glad you're here for Drew because in my head I know that's the right thing and I want Drew to be happy, but I'll die if they suffer because of you. Well, and being I've only seen a few episodes, but one of them was Adam's son getting insulted. And what did Adam do? You know, and then and so yeah. this this idea of those two kind of being like Adam being like, I don't want to turn into him, but it's there. But it's there in everybody. You know, I mean there's there's always there's everybody has their triggers. So but that's that's kinda interesting. Just from what I've seen, my limited interaction with the show is just like that that stands out to me. I thought Drew ultimately getting in a fight was sadly very believable. Mm -hmm. And I thought I mean maybe it's maybe it's actually to the show's detriment that it wasn't subtle at all. But like in that scene, you have Zeke resorting to violence mm. with Seth. And then in the very next scene at the batting cages, you have Seth resorting to violence. And Seth even says, I, I probably overreacted. <laughs> but, it's like, okay, that was over the top. That made yeah. me laugh out loud. <laughs> and then after that, you have Drew resorting to violence. Totally and, true. But yeah, that's just the way it goes, isn't it? The two, the only two male role models in his life have demonstrated violence for him in the span of about 18 hours. Yeah. Did you notice that it was Buddy Jr. that he beat up? Friday Night Lights <laughs> So would that be Gabby's brother? Yes! Sorry! That was Gabby's oh. brother in the same episode as Gabby! <laughs> He was back. Did we get another siren time. for that? <laughs> <laughs> but this time, he was previously drinking Zeke's beer in the barn with Drew as one of 
Bradley's friends. I think he's playing an entirely different character. But this time he's playing Arnie. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's Arnie the same guy. Arnie could be one of Bradley's friends, but he wasn't called Arnie before. The actor Blake Young Fountain is back also, this time shifting from Bradley's friend to Arnie's friend. <laughs> he never gets a name of his own. Aww. But yes, that was Jeff Rossick who played Buddy Jr. I also noticed when I was looking at the cast for this episode, before I even watched it, that the actor playing teacher was also the stunt coordinator for the episode. And I thought, that's strange. I wonder why they did that, because I didn't remember what happened in the episode. And then when I watched it, it's the teacher that broke up the fist fight. Oh. I thought, ah, that makes sense. You'd that have does a stunt make coordinator. <laughs> just be right there and just play that part. When there's a fight at my school... I never once tried to break it up. What I would do is say, oh my God, there's a fight. Somebody break it up. And that's that's what I would do. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that, well, good. Because I, I don't think I'd be very effective. <laughs> well, it was good to see John Corbett again. I haven't seen him in a long time. And I love him. Yeah. I wanted, I just, I don't know. This is off the topic, but I'm still, like, I don't like Carrie from Sex and the City because I just never felt like she was very good to him. But I know Melissa have, and I have kind of like talked about it and maybe um, I was missing some things that John Corbett had going on, his character. I don't even remember his name. Aiden. Aiden. So many characters. Aiden had some issues. Yeah. He did. He made her quit smoking, which we could say is, you know, just She tried to get, get him to get rid of his dog. And I don't, I just know. That's true. That's true. It's been a long time since I've seen Sex in the City. So I just yeah. wanted to point that out. Well, here, I have a question now for you guys. <laughs> he's got all these notes and he's crossing them out. My memory is so atrocious. Okay. Uh, let me play you this scene. And maybe I'll pose this question to you ahead of time. Okay. What do you think Sarah is after? What is her like objective that she's trying to accomplish in this scene with Seth? I just want to thank you for not... Poisoning the well, that would have been very easy to do, so thanks. Okay. You know, um, I actually think it was good, everything that happened with Drew, the fight, the punch. You know, you with him, he really responds to you. It's really, you mean a lot to him. Thanks. And we might take a little longer, but. Yeah. You still write songs now and then? Uh, not really, no, no. You should. You're really good at it. <laughs> okay, thanks. I'll see you. Okay, before you played the clip, I was all set to say, well, it's like Olive Branch, you know? She's just trying to return his kind words with words of her own, be civil. But then when I actually listened to it again, even though I watched it twice, I didn't really notice that what she tells him is, I think it's good that Drew got into a fight once you showed up, like, what? I don't fully get that. Do you guys get it? Well, I did think about that. Um, I think 
I mean, I think what she's trying to say is that it's good he stood up for himself. Is the bullying thing something that's a recurring thing on this show with him? Or is that it just happened here? Yeah. Like, so I just wonder if it's more of she's alluding to it being an issue in his life and he needed, you know, she maybe personally believes that that's the way for him to handle it, to get through it, is to throw a punch. I mean, that a lot of parents do think that, you know, whether it's right or wrong. He's but not it, very it, it popular be, or anything. He's very quiet. And I it could be her just searching for something positive to say, <laughs> you know. Um, I found it a very ambiguous scene. I, I wrote down, is she trying to get Seth to understand how much power he holds in the situation? Mm. Like saying, you know, you mean a lot to Drew. Don't spoil it. Don't leave. You're important to him. I could see that. Or, but then, or when she mentions Amber might take a little longer. I thought, is she is she just trying with all her might to make her family whole? I, I didn't know. I was confused. I wonder if she she sees yeah, no, I think you hit it with she wants she knows it's good for him to be there for the for the son. And and she knows it means a lot to the son, like so much so that he has been fighting them <laughs> over it. But she might also know that John Corbett is pretty fragile. You know, and so she's kind of letting him know, like, this is going to be hard for you. Like, she's not going to just, like, lay down for you and be be nice to you. So you need to stick it out. Because I'm guessing if mm. he has sub- substance abuse issues, maybe he's had some flight issues as well. You know, like, he runs away from things when they get too hard. Maybe things like that. I think it... I didn't think of it this way, but it might be another example of these characters knowing him really well before we come into the picture. Mm. Well, yeah, I think she has alluded to before he would just disappear for days and she would have no idea where he was. Man. Yeah, so there you go. And I thought, I really latched onto the lines about he really responds to you. You mean a lot to him. And I thought, is this just her trying to get it through Seth's head? What power he has over these kids and and thus power to really hurt them like you mean a lot to him if you just leave then that's do you understand how much (laughs) that's gonna hurt yeah like it can't be a notion i mean of the addicts i know people get notions right they they are like oh man and when everything's going fine like yeah we're gonna be close and we're gonna do this and i'm gonna be there but then when stuff gets hard that's when it can be kind of forgotten or when, you know, the alcoholism or whatever it is starts up again, then those things get discarded along with the feelings of the people who they're discarding. So yeah, it could just be her just trying to, without getting into a fight with him about, oh, not again with me, you know, you, you sound like your dad, I'm just going to ditch out again and hurt everybody's feelings or whatever, you know, like her focusing on the positive and then reiterating that he matters now, that now that he's, in his life, it matters if he's not. And it's funny, I find the ambiguity actually really enticing. I feel like the show doesn't do ambiguity very much. <laughs> Even though they often are really great at showing multiple sides of a conflict where there's no one right answer, it's still like that conflict is the point and that is very clear. I loved that I, I'm not totally sure what exactly is going on in this scene. But I don't think that's a deficiency in the scene. It actually just draws me in because now I want to know. And it's like, well, maybe in the next episode, I'll find out what she was after or what's going on here. And I also thought there was a lot of great nonverbal stuff in the scene. Something about the Lauren Graham's physical acting 
I felt like the whole history she had with Seth was like on her face, even when she wasn't saying anything. And then Amber comes out and all she says is, I love you. And then Sarah says it back. But I still feel like there's so much more it's an going incredible on. Incredible scene. It's a great scene. And I, I love that you talk about their phys- like her physicality and John Corbett's because I thought, and I even I wrote this in my notes, I thought that when he switches it over to Do You Still Write Music? It's like we're seeing them when they were teenagers or in their early 20s. Like we are seeing them when they got together and the charm mm-hmm. between the two of them and the like you just they just like reversed it and you just got to have this moment with these characters when they were innocent before it all went to shit, you know, and what a beautiful thing. And they've got to have something good there to still have that in them. You know, like there's something there that really mattered. Um, I also thought that when he walks up and she's drinking her wine and she sets the wine glass behind her, it's just very quietly. But um, to me, that was, I thought it was another one of those things where it's an acknowledgement of what alcohol does to him. It's an acknowledgement that he's a different person and it's awful. It also shows that she cares about him, that she's thinking about his feelings, that she doesn't want to tempt him in any way, that there is still some tenderness there between the two of them. And she's a good person. I mean, any good person would do that. But I I think just that quiet way of doing that was, I really enjoyed that. And, And it led into just a fantastic scene. I didn't even notice that she put the wine behind her back. That's so thoughtful. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that moment. I think the ambiguity um, working in that part is a testament to how strong the acting is between, you know, and the chemistry is between those two because it doesn't just work if, if, what's up? I'm so sorry. (laughs) I shouldn't, I just looked at your notes and they were so charming. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. That's bad. This is what I'm just happens when you're so been... in love with you. It's just, I was like, why are you laughing at what I'm saying? I'm, yeah, I'm like, so sorry. I wasn't trying to laugh at what you were saying. Real I apologize. mean. So, oh, I apologize. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, I don't even remember what I was saying. But uh, oh, the ambiguity. Like, you know, that ambiguity, the ambiguity is because of how good the actors are. Yeah. And, and if you're ambiguous, sometimes it is a sign that you're just, you have no direction or whatever. But, and maybe they didn't, and the acting just saved it. But I think that they're just, it's such a nuanced performance and it's its just the chemistry's there and it just works. And it may have never meant to be, you know, meant to have that. Um, they just brought it alive. They just, that's something they brought to the table when they made that scene happen. And it just, it's from beginning to end. I mean, like just moving the glass behind her, it was just wonderful. It was just a perfect scene in so many ways, I thought. That's a really good point. It Even though it feels ambiguous, it doesn't feel vague. It feels really specific. Yeah. Oh, man, I like the distinction there between those two terms. I wouldn't have thought of that. Cool. Well, let's examine the slow motion train wreck that is Jasmine and Crosby. The the first shot of that dishwasher, it like gave me PTSD. (laughs) Um, And it also made me wonder how much time had passed. Because like on their first phone call, Jasmine did not seem like she had had sufficient time to cool down and Crosby just seemed flailing and desperate. So I think I got the sense that it was maybe like the next morning or something. Yeah. I wasn't sure either, but I I was curious about that as well. Cause obviously it's at least one full night on the boat, but I'm like, is it more than one night on the boat? I, I don't know. That would be, I think by the end of the episode, it has been, yes, but definitely. it was a little unclear at the top. I'm not sure how much time passes in the episode. Like, 
this whole slow motion train wreck, as you call it, with Gabby, what's the span of time there? You know, like, did you get a sense of that, Mark? Like, like how many days that was? Or? I bet you could find out from the contract with Amazing Andy or something like that. Oh, but yeah. it's, it was probably, I mean, what would you, you would mm. plan a birthday party a week, two weeks in advance, something like that, probably. And he, I don't know. He does say, I always check the the lights or like I always set up two days before. So, so there you go. There's that. Mm. Good thinking. Well, after Max's meltdown, I felt like Crosby actually handled being there for it really well, really compassionately to Gabby, but still very professional. But then two scenes later, they're at the bar. It seems like it would be very isolating too. Like kind of lonely. I'm talking about my personal life now? You're not lonely. That's impossible. <laughs> Let's not go there. Wait a minute, you're lonely. Because I don't believe it. <laughs> Do you only interact with blind people? Or? <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about you. Why are you in the doghouse? Um, apparently, I'm, I shouldn't be making any decisions, is what I'm gathering. How do you feel about that? Well, um, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be making decisions. Why not? I don't know. Do I strike you as someone that should be making a lot of decisions? I mean, you're smart, guy. You think so? Huh. You have a very kind opinion of me. And I appreciate it. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Caleb's eye roll, listeners. I wish you could see it. <laughs> This whole scene just made me think so much of my uncle Lyle when he was a guest and he talked about watching your physical proximity and your eye contact. He did talk about that. Because all they were doing was being really close to each other and staring in each other's faces. And when he says, you know, people say, oh, it just happened. He's like, really? How was your physical proximity? (laughs) How was your eye contact? And then also... He, he talked about when you're with someone day in, day out, and then someone else comes along and they give you a lot of attention. And to them, you're the greatest thing. And that can feel so intoxicating. And she's saying, you're smart. I'm just being honest. It's like, oh, she's showering him with attention. I'm not blaming Gabby, but it's like, oh, this is, you guys know what you're doing. You, it's so plain. And then also the idea of margins, like, Is it conceivable that Crosby could go get a drink with a woman and it'd be fine? Yeah, that's possible. But just don't even go there. Yeah. And especially not while you're having a fight with your fiancé and not with a woman who you have already acknowledged to her that you find her attractive. Yeah. Oh, I had a bit for this. (laughs) Watching this whole storyline... I was just constantly going. (laughs) Okay. I have to admit something. The first time I watched this show and this, I can't even believe that I thought this, but I really thought Jasmine was so wrong in the previous episode like that she was really being controlling and taken over at their at their counseling appointment. I remember thinking that Jasmine was not being very kind to Crosby 
and that maybe he should actually be with Gabby. I, I, like not not one night stand, but I was like, maybe he just makes more sense with Gabby. And now watching it, I'm like, I cannot believe I ever thought that. Not that there's anything wrong with her. She's very kind. But watching it again, the scenes with Jasmine, I'm like, she's hurt. Crosby unloaded on her in the previous episode with so many cruel things, you know, about you're controlling, I can't marry you, all the things she outlined. And he is responding to that, not by trying to make it right, but by doing the easier thing is spending more time with someone who is giving him that attention, like you said. I mean, and even the way he frames things, like, I don't think it's cool to talk with someone you're attracted to about your marital or relationship problems, which is what he's doing there. And then later in the episode, when he says, yeah, Max isn't here because she just decided it wasn't important and took him away. I'm like, that's not exactly it. She's still upset. She needs time and space. And I don't, I don't think you're being very fair ah, to either woman, really. But anyway, this time I just was so, I felt so bad for Jasmine. I'm like, here she is thinking, I'm just giving us a little space so we can come back together, figure out what we're going to do. And he just, I think, does the easy thing. I don't know. What, what were your thoughts, Mark? It's kind of a hard episode because I think a lot of... Uh a lot of what you need to know about the episode has already happened, and I don't know. I haven't seen it. So what I have seen is Jasmine does appear to be out of line, but I understand that she's not. So it was hard for me to really like have a real thick opinion on exactly what was going on. But Caleb, I don't think I mean, I don't think I can say anything different from when you did. Yeah, you just don't do that. Like you just can't put yourself in that position. And he like, I understand. I understand that he would want her to feel better after his nephew made her feel awful. And she uh, really is like a very vulnerable person and you would feel bad and you want that to be better. But he also has to look at himself and take stock of where he is. If he's if he's not just getting done, like getting to a giant fight with Jasmine and her leaving and him feeling hurt, then taking her for a drink probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. But in that situation, it's a perfect storm and he's doing nothing but swimming right, like straight into it. <laughs> but, but even then, you know, I, I kind of wrote down that they really put that character, I mean, he could have handled that part differently, I guess, and not went out for the drink with the awkward hug and all that. But that character was really in a spot of no win because once the birthday party happens, she's got to be there. And he's got to be there. And there's nothing he can do about it. So I had, I really hadn't thought about the fact that he could have made it better by just not going to the bar before that particular... And then they would have a little bit of background and a little bit of familiarity. If that wasn't there, would what happens later on end up happening? I don't know. Well, And they have this little scene before the party where I feel like neither of them are confused about yeah. what has happened thus far. I'm really sorry about the um, end of our margarita drinking. Oh. I, I kind of no, crossed the line. No, so um, I'm sorry, too. I, it's mine. It's not your fault. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, I love my girlfriend. and Absolutely, of course. <clears throat> and she's your fiancé, by the way. And she's amazing. And also, I work here, and I don't want to mess that up. And, and you don't have to say anything. It's fine. It's solid. It's, it's fine. He knows exactly what he did. She knows exactly what he was trying to do. They realize the stakes on his end and on her end. I'm going to defend him, though, because in the next scene to the party, 
He wore that fedora, <laughs> which should totally keep Minka Kelly away from him. He thought Woman it would repellent. work. He thought it would help. It didn't help. That's just the way it is. Oh my God, babe. I almost made the exact same joke. Because <laughs> you were reading my notes. Oh. <laughs> Oh no. Well, I'll defend the fedora. Ten years old Melissa. There's no defense. Well, ten years ago, Melissa. Gotcha. A little bit. I don't think it's crazy to question whether he might be more compatible with someone else. Although I think that's about all I have to say about that. <laughs> Just but that I don't think that's crazy. And I do question whether Jasmine has a very high opinion of Crosby in a lot of respects. I don't think those opinions are necessarily unfounded. I think she's basing them on real things. <laughs> and yeah, he's getting along with Gabby a lot better in this episode, but he also didn't just really hurt Gabby. <laughs> so, but I just to say, I think it's a fair question. And I will defend him a, a little bit in light of their final phone conversation. I'm so glad you called. Listen, um, I'm really sorry, but... I gotta take Jabbar to the to the desert for a few days to visit my aunt. Well, it, um, it's Max's birthday tomorrow. I know. I'm I'm really sorry, but my aunt has been feeling well, and my my mom is going out to help her, and I'd like to go with her and bring Jabbar. He hasn't seen his aunt in a long time. Well, I, I don't I don't think that's fair. I know. I know it's it's always about the Bravemans, but Jabbar's aunt would really like to see him, and I'm taking him, so. Jasmine, what is going on? I don't know. We need to get together and talk this out. I don't, I don't think you should go. I'm not ready for that right now, Crosby. Goodbye. So I totally respect Jasmine saying I'm not ready to hash things out. I think that is fair. But I do also think that she is completely reverting to her habit of just doing whatever she wants as a parent and not factoring in Crosby's opinion. I mean, she starts by saying, I'd like to take Jabbar to see his aunt. And then the next time she says, well, I'm taking him. After Crosby says, oh, I don't think that's fair. And it also... Here's where I, I, I stop criticizing Jasmine so much, per se, and just notice an issue about they still haven't hammered out any legal arrangement about what are Crosby's rights to the child. Because legally, Jasmine can do whatever she wants with Jabbar. She's the parent. He isn't. But I all, it also made me think of, like, you know, one of the things they say parents should keep in mind about spanking their children is... Are you spanking them because they did something wrong or are you spanking them because you're angry? Mm. And I thought, are you taking Jabbar to see his aunt because you think that's what Jabbar should be doing or because you can, because you get to call the shots, you don't want Crosby to see him or you don't want to see Crosby so Jabbar doesn't get to go to Max's birthday party. It just seems like, oh, Jasmine, you're operating out of what you want to do right now and then you're just taking Jabbar with you, aren't you? And yet, I get it. <laughs> I get it all around. And I also think the last scene where they actually saw each other face to face, she laid out a very reasonable path 
about let's just take some time. We have issues. I want to make sure that we both know what we want. And Crosby was really honest and vulnerable and said, that scares me. And she said, me too. But I think, I think she's right. If I had one criticism about that from a storytelling point of view, it's that it does seem like the choices are let's get married now or break up. And I feel like she kind of got the closest that anyone has gotten to saying, let's just slow things down. We don't have to break up. Uh, I'm rambling, but. Do you have thoughts on that? No, I think it's a really good point. I mean, I think it's an excellent point. And I think I didn't really think of it from the idea of Jasmine doing it specifically to hurt Crosby, you know, and it is within her rights to do that. And it would make sense um, if she's really hurt to, to lash out at him. But it is really hard because like that particular phone call, Crosby does not look like, I mean, I would just not have guessed that it was all his fault that this was happening. Mm -hmm. Like Melissa had to tell me that. So again, it's hard for me to say my opinion on this because I'm just like, oh, I mean, that was just really cold. And she's even like, I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, she's just leaving it in the balance. And she should be able to do that without him sleeping with Meek and Kelly. I get that. (laughs) Absolutely. However, when you do that, you are leaving the door open. So, I mean, it makes me want to tell a story. Go ahead. About one of our friends. Oh, I don't even know what story this is. It's a spring break story where we had a friend. Um, they were going, they, the person they were dating was going on spring break. Oh yeah. And the, oh no, go ahead. We might just have to cut it out. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Maybe so, not. uh, the person they were dating was going on spring break and this person was going to like a, a spring break destination with friends, um, kind of a hookup top spot. And so this person, um, broke up with our friend in order to go to the spring break destination and pretty much said, you know, well, I'm going to the spring break destination, so I'm going to break up with you. I mean, am I remembering (laughs) that right? Spot on. It was just like, wow. (laughs) Well, while this person went, this person came back and said, we're back together. I didn't mess around with anybody. But the problem is, is that the person that this person left behind did. (laughs) (laughs) And I always totally understood that. I'm like, you know, I'm not saying that you should, and I'm not saying that cooler heads shouldn't prevail, but when the person left, the door was wide open, you know? It's a little bit different in this situation. It really is. And um, these two are much more likable than the situation we saw with her. (laughs) But... Anyway. Well, and it's not even like a we were on a break scenario because at least the way I heard Jasmine throughout this episode, I never heard her break up with him. No. And I never heard her say, I don't want to be with you. No. No, she didn't say that. But didn't he say something like, what's going to happen? Or she's like, I don't know, or I don't even know what we can do or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think she didn't break up with him. I'm not letting him off the hook. He's on the hook. (laughs) He's on the hook. And he set himself up for this garbage. He played with fire. He got got burned. burned. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think these are all such good points. I I hadn't even considered the point you made earlier, Caleb, that they don't have a plan in place for Jabbar. And I think the reason is because they just started dating each other instead. And so the idea of rights kind of got thrown out the window. But now that they're having troubles again, 
they they do need these sorts of rights. That's a good point. And I mean, I think I didn't look at it as her denying Jabbar the opportunity to go to his cousin's birthday party, though partially that is what happens. But I think the line that really resonated with me was, I know it's always about the Bravermans. I don't even think she said it mean. She's just right. It is always about the Bravermans. And I thought space to me is very important. I think when people are fighting, yes, it can be really good, like Crosby says, to, to get together and hash it out. But I, I sensed a little bit of him saying, you can't leave town. I'm going to sleep with Gabby. Like, he doesn't say that, but I felt like that was the subtext. You have to stay here because I don't trust myself. I'm in a situation, which means they're already fucked. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if he is that tempted to sleep with someone else that he can't stop himself if she leaves town, they've got really big problems. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping ahead too much, but that was a thought. Although, re all about the Bravermans, have we seen her had, have to compromise because of the Bravermans before? Well, I feel like, do you remember when she was living in New York and he had planned when she and Jabbar were going to come visit and he had planned their entire weekend up? And he was, she was like, this is very sweet, but you have us going to Julia's house one day and Adam and Christina's house one day and your parents' house one day. I have family in Berkeley. <laughs> I'm coming home to visit them. And he's like, oh, right. (laughs) And I, yeah, I just. On the flip side of that, she said that from New York where she had taken their child. (laughs) That's true. Even though Crosby said, wait, what's going to happen? And she said, well, I'm not going to do it. But then she just did it anyway. That is true. That's a good point. And he wanted to watch Jabbar when she went to Europe and she wouldn't let him. And. He wanted to bring the Bravermans to Jabbar's birthday party, and she didn't want them there because she had lied to her whole family about him. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I just think it's a multifaceted. That's true. Good point. One other thing that bugged me about Crosby, though, was that he, at least in one scene, but I think he said it twice, he said, um, This fight is so pointless. And I was just thinking about communication, and I thought, I get what he's trying to say. I think, like, how have we let it come this far? But I think it's a really bad idea because it's basically just him stating his opinion as fact and then imposing it on her. I thought it's clearly not pointless to her. And I don't even really think it was pointless to him because he didn't blow up at her over the dishwasher about nothing. Yeah. And yeah, maybe what he means, I think, is this has gotten out of hand. Yeah. But... If I'm Jasmine, I would just feel like, don't tell me this is pointless. You really hurt my feelings. Yeah. And you were really upset. It's not pointless. Well, and that's a validation piece, too. You, He can't say it's pointless. Like, it's already happening. And it's obviously not pointless because she's doing something that he doesn't like. That's not going to help by just trying to say, like, what we're fighting about doesn't really exist. Like, that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> But I think also just going back to it's all about the Bravermans, where he's like, we have to hash this out now. Isn't that go back to it's all about the Bravermans? There is something distinctly annoying about somebody saying something really awful to you and then telling you that we need to get over this right now. (laughs) We've been through this. Like not, well, I mean, I'm sure we've had fights like that, but like just other people like in our arguments and things like you need to get over this. You need to quit holding a grudge or you need to how whatever it is. And yeah, sometimes you just can't forget what people say. 
sometimes you just, and it's accountability, right? It's, it's holding accountability. And, and, uh, sometimes it just takes a while and it needs to take a while for these things to heal up for, and, and that gives you an incentive maybe not to say those things again, to stop before you say something so toxic that it's going to take two weeks to get over. The person's going to have to go across, you know, some get on a plane to get away from you to the get desert. over it. That's intense. Yeah, to just get, yeah. So maybe it's like what we were saying about Zeke earlier, that Zeke is fine expressing his feelings as long as it's when he wants to whom he wants. Yeah. And that Crosby is a little bit like, well, I'm ready to talk about this now. So it needs to be talked about. Whereas like when they had the fight, he said, I can't talk to you anymore. And she said, then don't. He's like, I'm not gonna. And he left. Yeah. So it's like he's, he only really wants to have it out on his timetable. But then when she says, I'm not ready, he he goes and sleeps with Gabby. Well, and there's some entitlement too, like with, uh, with Zeke and with anybody, like when they, you know, like, oh, I'm saying the right thing. I'm, I'm being, you know, accepting of whatever. So therefore I'm entitled to this bad behavior or whatever it is. And it's like, no, that's just how you're supposed to be. <laughs> it just doesn't, yeah. you know, Zeke being a woke boomer or whatever he has going <laughs> on there is not, you know, that doesn't mean that he gets to, you know, shove his, his ex-son-in-law over the car, you know, I mean, <laughs> while telling him to behave. I mean, that's, that's not, <laughs> he doesn't get to, he doesn't get to own his wife. That's not what it is. And so, you know, he might have some qualities that are good and that he's learned from people that are good and he's learned how to to be a better person, but nobody owes him shit. And nobody owes Crosby shit either, you know. But he just happens to be in a situation where he can just very conveniently lash out. (laughs) And I am realizing this is a family trait of the Bravermans because I am someone who really likes space I don't think I always was. I think that's maybe something Mark has kind of taught me, honestly, because I used to fight a lot with my mom um, because I wouldn't ask for space. You know, we, we would be really upset and we would just get into it. And so now I'm thinking of all these situations on the show, you know, where like Adam was forcing Hattie to go to the walkathon, even though Amber was going to be there and they just had that blow up with Steve and Amber was, or Hattie was like, I don't want to go. And I was like, don't make her go. Give her a little space and time. Or, you know, there was a an episode earlier in this season where Julia and Joel were fighting. And Julia was they were both late for Joel work. Joel was leaving for work. He oh, was you, leaving yeah. for work. They were stressed out and she said, "We need to talk about this right now." And so then he did, and his first words were like, "You don't want me to wa- work." Ever, you know, and they got into a big fight because she insisted that they talk about it right then when space would have been much better. And I think maybe Jasmine's trying to keep Jabbar away, but she knows she's not ready. She told him that she needs space. This was horrible. And Mark, something you said that really struck me was don't say things that are so awful. It's going to take two weeks to recover. And I know that people have fights sometimes. But that, that's a really intense thing to say, something that's going to take that long. And, you know, last episode, Jasmine even said something about that. She, you know, he was like, I, no, it was this episode. He was like, I didn't mean it. It was in the middle of an argument. And she was like, well, don't say it then if you don't mean it. And I'm like, she's right, you know? Yeah. And speaking about your space, which is a really observant point about the Bravermans, who have we seen respect space? Sarah. When Amber says, I don't want to talk to you right now. And Sarah leaves the room. Yeah. 
even though she says, I don't want to leave you so upset, but she leaves the room. It's an important thing in a relationship of any kind. Yeah, we, we, on a personal note, like we learned early in our relationship that if we have a disagreement or a spat, which, you know, it was like Melissa wants to kind of deal with it and get it out of the way right there. And, and then she gets very, like, her reaction to uh, somebody being upset is to apologize and try to fix it, where mine is to distance myself or explode, like, or ju- just really get, like, engaged. And so we had to learn that kind of the hard way, like, because really our personalities are taking us in the wrong direction. So, she, you know, kind of <laughs> had to learn, like, I can't just walk away and go hide somewhere. I have to say... This is where I need this, you know, like at least have a cue for that. And then, you know, so she knows, okay, I'm not just, when I come back, it's going to be better. We're not going to forget about it. We can talk about it. But talking about it in this heated moment is just going to cause more heat. It's not going to get anywhere. And it's going to make you go down these places that are, you don't want to go. So, and especially when it's something petty, you know, and and you know that you're just going to get angry and other things are going to come into play. How long have Jasmine and Crosby like been together in we, this at this point? See, that's something we've brought up not that barely long. a year. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense for them to put themselves in this position. Like yeah. it, it's not like they're you know, like when Zeke and, and his wife get into that awful fight, um, and he says that she's his or whatever. What well, that's what I heard. Um no, you're that's un- really unacceptable. You know, they've been together so long. Like, to have that kind of gap in communication is really tragic. It's not surprising, but it's tragic. But, like, for somebody to be together a year and have this spat, like, that's right on cue. You know? <laughs> it's right on cue. And nine times out of ten, it doesn't involve Minka Kelly. You know? So. <laughs> but if it does, I mean, I'm just like, if it's Minka Kelly, you know, you just know, like, you're just just you're just not going to talk to her. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's right. just, that's it's pretty smart. obvious, you know? Yeah. You, you can't. You can't engage in that situation. I think it would have been so kind of Crosby to just say what he said to her at the house and then not go out for margaritas afterwards, you know? Like, if I, he could have been just as compassionate and kind and made sure she was okay um, in that moment. But, yeah, then they they crossed Yeah, over. I thought it was funny on Hulu, when it reaches the end of an episode, it'll pop up saying... <laughs> Next episode starts, or you can either Mark watch credits or next episode in, and it'll count down and then it lists the episode title. And so as Crosby and Gabby are hooking up, it pop, the episode title of the next episode pops up in the corner, which is do not sleep with your autistic nephew's therapist. And it was like Hulu took the words out of my mouth and was like shouting it <laughs> at the characters. It. I Don't was do laughing. it. I was like, what a great... <laughs> I mean, the next episode might as well have been called. No! <laughs> I gotta ask, are they hooking up at her house or at Crosby and Jasmine's so house? I'm so this. worried about that. I mean, it's awful. It's a betrayal either way. But I couldn't quite tell where they were. And I'm sure we find out in the next episode. And I know I've seen the show two times before, but I legit don't remember. Um, and it, I assumed it was Gabby's. I really hope so. I don't really just, know what. Jasmine and Crosby's new place looks like. It's so nondescript anyway. Yeah, it's definitely not on his boat, but um, which I don't think would have been as awful as his home with Jasmine. Although, I guess... In their marriage bed. In their marital bed. (laughs) But either way, it's it's, (laughs) it's, um, adultery. I mean, it's it's not okay. Are they married? 
No. Is it adultery if they're not married? They're just engaged? I mean, adultery is bullshit anyway. Well, I mean, it's infidelity. Infidelity. It's infidelity no matter what. Adultery yeah. is just like that anyway. Yeah, you're like right. That's like the crucible. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, like, that's like that yeah. fucking... Okay. <laughs> you're totally right. Um, no, the note that I noticed you wrote down earlier that Oh, made... wow. Wait, I just want to note, I, I never knew the difference. But uh, the definition of adultery is... Voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. Huh. I didn't realize that adultery was specifically married people. Although maybe I did and I just didn't realize it. That's why I say I'm it's saying bullshit. It, it's like I a, wouldn't have said. Does it say yeah. anything about a fedora? <laughs> she was committing adultery with a much younger man. With a fedora. No fedora. I don't know. I, I just, I gotta say, I'm really disappointed in Crosby. <laughs> like, I really don't think that he handled that well. And I honestly think it might have been more about avoidance than even lust, which might sound strange. But I feel like that validation from the easier, you know, just that the person who is is giving you the kind words. And of course she is, because they don't really know each other very well. It's very easy to find someone super charming when you're not in a fight with them and and you don't have any baggage, you know? And and I think it's just, I think that's what bums me out the most. It seems really unfair that he's comparing this light, simple flirtation that he has with Gabby to the difficulties of a potential marriage where you're raising a child together. That just feels so unfair. Although I don't think he's thinking it through that. I don't think he's comparing it. No, but like, he, oh, this is a better option. No, but I think you're totally right about avoiding. He just doesn't want to feel what he's feeling. Oh, I'd rather feel good right now with Gabby. But when he says, when he when he relays to her that he's having a fight, he's signaling something. I mean, he he's she becomes kind of different whenever once he does that. That is, it's a different kind of conversation after that. He has opened a door by doing that. If he doesn't bring up the fight, if he if it doesn't exist, she's not going to go there. Like she, yeah. you know what I mean. But it, she starts to and and she's kind of. I wrote down that she was playing him too. Like I mean, there's a little bit she's stroking his ego and just kind of you know hmm. letting him have. But it's after he says the things he does about Jasmine. Well, yeah. then it's, it's kind of on. Before. Which she asks yeah. him about. Why are you in the doghouse? Yeah. And, and Melissa, I know I've heard you talk before about that there are lots of different kinds of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that confessing marital issues is certainly, I mean, that right there is a mild compared to sexual, but that's infidelity. I don't know though. Yeah. Sometimes that's, I, I think mean, that's, that's just worse. between you guys. Yeah. You shouldn't really go well, talk and, and to if a they stranger were, at a bar. But. If they were closer friends or something, I mean, that might, but they, they are purely acquaintances, purely acquaintances. And that is, yeah. I mean, in some ways that's, that is a, it's a deep cut of a betrayal. Him saying that. I mean, what, yeah. what do you think Jasmine Maria would do? You, I mean, that character, <laughs> if she knew he said that she would no. I, and I mean, she'd be right. Yeah. She'd be totally right. Totally right. And I think, you know, but yeah, that, that, and would I probably... think her going, I think she's avoiding the situation too, but she avoids it by visiting her aunt <laughs> and Crosby avoids it by sleeping with his autistic nephew's therapist. It was like yeah. there's space, which I think is what Jasmine is trying to have. And then there is 
avoidance. And I, I think I think those are different things. I think space is is good if you're not doing something that's going to harm the relationship. It's just sad because they're all good people. I, I still think Crosby's a good person, but I, I and I, I don't think that he was just trying to like trick Gabby into bed or anything like that. But I do think he was being very selfish. He wasn't thinking about Max for sure. He wasn't thinking about or Adam and Christina. Right. And he wasn't thinking about Gabby. You know, I mean, he's being nice to Gabby and they're having this flirtation, but where's this going to go? He wants to marry Jasmine. He doesn't want to be in a relationship with Gabby. So that's kind of mean, really, to act on this when it can't be anything. And I'm, I'm just now kind of seeing the point where, where he's really impressed by her um, talking to the, the bug guy. Andy. Yeah, expertise can be a real turn on. I identify with that. I, well, I get turned no, on when people I mean, are good I, at what they I do. I get it being a turn on, but it also shows that his character acknowledges that she has a special skill, that his nephew is in the hands of somebody who's an expert, who's very good. So he's also discarding that when he sleeps with her. It, it's even more of a, dis, of, a, of a selfish move because he understands how damn good she is with max and how good she is for him and maybe that doesn't you know come up but but it should have it really should have like you know this isn't going to end well she's not going to want to be with this family if i sleep with her and my nephew really needs it and he should think that i mean that's not just me being on a pedestal it's like if if you have a, a relationship with somebody with special needs, you understand the importance of certain things. If they have something good going for them, you do not want to sabotage it. So I wasn't mad at Crosby till now, but now I'm mad at Crosby. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, and like he says to Gabby, maybe I shouldn't be making any decisions. Maybe you well, shouldn't. Well, not if they're not if they're going to be like this. But and if Jasmine's always treating him like he's a child, right? Like I, I feel like she kind of treats him like he's on the verge of doing something stupid. Well, how much did he prove her wrong on this one? <laughs> right. I'm right. going to leave you alone with the house for three days, and you're going to sleep with Minka Kelly. That's how you're going to handle it. You know, like, yeah. it's... it's in, and I, then tell me, I have good judgment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's implied that, that maybe she's a little condescending to him, but this is a pretty childish way. And if not, it's not uncommon, but it's a childish way of handling, handling getting... Your feelings hurt. <laughs> Very childish. Yeah. And the most destructive thing he could have done, honestly. I mean, it's the the maximum destruction. I enjoyed the episode, and but maybe it's because I know what's coming up in the next one. This one did feel a little transitional to me. Like it was a lot of just building up and setting up this <laughs> uh, <laughs> everything falling apart. Yeah. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that, you know, things should hit the fan. Well, we know what the title of the next episode is. <laughs> I know. We already, it's going to be addressed. The title isn't, this was a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait till next episode and then we'll talk about it. That's not the title. I, this is the second time I've seen this episode. I think the first time I saw it was actually the first episode of Parenthood I had ever watched. And just seeing Crosby, I, I just, I, I don't. I used to not be a fan of uh, Dax Shepard. Dax Shepard. I just I associate him with punked. I associate him with without a paddle. I associate him with frat boys trying to look like him. No, thank you. 
Um, I, and so I'm watching this and I'm like, what's this asshole doing with Minka Kelly? Like he's got this fedora and is this like stupid, like frat boy charm. And he's just like saying all these goofy things and she's just eating it up with a spoon. Like this is ridiculous, ridiculous. But now that I've seen a little bit more, I will say I do, I do find him pretty charming and he's turned me around. I, I did get it more this time. I understood the chemistry and I understood the character more. So just a little aside for you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I still love Crosby, but man, I uh, just, I real I'm, I'm as disappointed in him as if he were a real person. And that, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, you blew it, man. You just blew it. I'm just sad about it. And, and I just, I feel so bad for Jasmine. Also, we're not talking enough about how beautiful Jasmine is. Like. It shouldn't have anything to do with beauty. No, though. it doesn't. But. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Although it does, like, Crosby got both these women, but... Boggles the mind a bit. That <laughs> doesn't make sense. <laughs> but uh, This episode also it weirdly reminded me of opening night because they both had these very kind of lighthearted stories revolving around one of the grandkids, either school play or Max's birthday party. But then there's this much darker and less enjoyable storyline in each one. In this one, obviously, it's Crosby on his path to destruction. And then the other, it was Adam and Christina just being horrible to Alex, Alex and oh. Hattie. And Yeah. I think that the person, I, the character I feel the most sorry for is Gabby. Yeah. Because it's just like, she's kind of like wrangled into this whole mess. And it, you know, I mean, just how humiliating. Mm. Um Although I also wonder what was leading her to it, because I feel like she was, I feel like she knew what was happening. She's not a victim. I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I don't. No, I didn't think you were. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't think. But I wonder what's motivating her. Yeah. Because I don't think she wants to she's break lonely. up. I mean, she's you know, lonely. Jasmine Crosby. No, she doesn't. But she's lonely. I mean, that that's kind of like. She's lonely and she's, you know, I don't know, for whatever reasons she is and, and Crosby's giving her attention and it's just kind of a sad situation. It's just, it's just sad, you know? It's like it Crosby uses this as a way to make himself feel better for a fleeting second, but it just reinforces her loneliness and it's, that's sad, you know? Yeah, that's beautifully put. She was just really like killing it with this job and I'm sure she kills it with all her jobs, but... You know, when, when you're lonely, you lean on your strengths. And he took the one fucking strength she had <laughs> with, you know, this. And, I mean, I know it's just a character, but people do this to each other all the time. It's just, yeah. it's cold, you know? And it's reminding me that when they had that margarita <laughs> date, whatever, that he is just flabbergasted when she indicates that she's lonely. Because no one who looks like that could ever be lonely. And that, that is a really simple understanding of, it's a pretty shallow understanding of how loneliness works. You know, y- you can be beautiful and sometimes that can almost make it worse. I should know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I thought that'd be funny. Um, no, but like, you know, we have a friend who, well, I won't, I won't get into that. I'll just say sometimes people who um, are really attractive aren't taken as seriously sometimes or, or sometimes they just have maybe different problems. I, I, well, I don't just know. Just because she has a chance at sleeping with somebody every night doesn't mean that she has a chance at real human interaction every yeah, night. Yeah, beautiful. And, and Crosby just solidified that shit. 
because she had real human interaction one night and then the next night it turns into sex because she's attractive and then we move on you know and then she continues to be lonely so i don't know boy i mean cross i just kind of want to smack him a little bit but I, I like him now. Before I wanted to smack him because he reminds reminded me of so many people that I like to smack. But <laughs> you want to smack him because you like him. That's well, that's yeah. What I drama want him to be is. a good person. I don't want him to do a bad thing. You know. And it's yeah. it is interesting because I feel like in many ways parenthood is like, if it's any overarching story, I think it might be the story of Crosby becoming a good person. Like I don't know. Maybe that's too dramatic. But you know he. He was very irresponsible when we first met him. And it's like the whole show is him becoming better. And this was a huge setback. Do you think their whole lives before we came in on it was the story of Zeke getting better? Whoa. Yeah, maybe. And you know, in the movie, it's Crosby's character that's just like a total asshole, right? Yeah, like Really he's, irredeemable. He's irre- yeah, irredeemable. irredeemable. And uh, so... The, you know, if you think of it in those terms, it is like that would make sense that it would be a big deal for him too. Man, <sighs> we did it, everybody. This was some this was some in depth some in depth shit. It was that it was. was a good episode. Thank you for having me. Are we done? Oh, thank you for coming. <laughs> yeah, we're we're wrapping. I'm up. done. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much, babe. I was really looking forward to this, and it was a lot of fun. I'm sorry I read your notes. Um, they were I good. I don't mind you write, reading my notes. Okay. I loved them. They were really good. That's marriage. <laughs> um, we always ask our guests if they have anything to plug, but I know that you're not on social media. No. Um, I don't really have anything to plug. Um, I would say that you should be nice to animals. Maybe adopt one. Aww. Quit eating them if you can. You know, just look around a little bit. Just do this for me, people. All of you. <laughs> Just look around and say, can I fucking change something? Can I just do one thing to make this better? Whatever is going wrong right now, can I just, in my personal space or in the world, can I just do something? And that's all. That's all I need. That was lovely. Yeah. I can't, but that's a nice idea. (laughs) I can't either. I just want other people to do it for me. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, um... Listeners, please follow us. I didn't mean to totally undermine that. No, it was lovely. No, it's, it was great to be undermined. Um, <laughs> by you, Caleb. It's always great. Oh. That's why they call me the underminer. <laughs> <laughs> the eradicator. <laughs> the undertaker. Um, all right. Oh, well, wait, that could be my wrestling name. Yeah, the, the underminer. Under- wrestling name, the underminer. That's pretty good. That feels right for me. I think it does. Or the researcher. I feel like that could be you. Yeah, I just Google. <laughs> the Googler. That's not real research. <laughs> <laughs> You've just been Google. <laughs> but can you imagine? You've just been undermined. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like it. I got to think of my wrestling name. I'll work on it. All right. Listeners, please follow us and like us on all. All the platforms. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, the Insta. And visit our website, www.parenthoodfouls.com. Dot com. Thanks again to Mark. Yay.
We love and you. And thanks to all of our listeners. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true. Mark's going to the bathroom. I was trying to not okay. so you wouldn't have to edit it. Well, but we're going to have to edit it because you'll be gone for a while. Well, I'm not going to poop. <laughs> 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 <laughs>